Uh, just when I got to know her as Susan D., she went off and she changed her name last year uh, to Susan U. Uh, when she was Susan D., she put a label on me uh, <clears throat> at a mini-conference in Northeast Ohio. It seemed that one Jack was sitting up front, and this Jack was sitting in the back, and she called me Jack in the back, and now everybody in Northeast Ohio and Northwest Ohio and other parts of the Ohio call me Jack in the back. It's a nice spot to be in. She, uh, she has just completed her, her second general service conference as conference coordinator, which is a job within, within a job. Uh, it's quite a, quite a task. She's become a friend of mine, I hope, uh, for, the last, for the last couple years at least, or at least la last three years I've known her. Uh, she will be rotating this, com this coming September, and she will become staff coordinator. I give you Susan Yu from her general service office in New York. Good morning, everyone. My name is Susan. I'm a alcoholic. Hi, Susan. <laughs> yeah. Of course I know I'm an alcoholic, it's just the, uh, the name change is really, many alcoholics change their names a lot and others don't get married at all. And uh, <laughs> it's a real pleasure to be with all of you on this gorgeous sunny day with bright, clear, white eyes shining. They're not bloodshot unless you stayed up all night at the Alcathons and for all of us to be sober. And I thank Alcoholics Anonymous for that, and I also like to thank the committee for including me in this program this weekend. I've, the East Central region is a very special place to me, and maybe I've been here too much. I don't know what happened uh, this uh, trip this uh, weekend. I was on vacation the last two weeks, and... Um, many of the staff have been traveling and when they uh, it was my turn to uh, come here this weekend and I knew about it several months ago and all I thought about is I'm richer inside for being here with you and uh, certainly if you have anything on your mind that you would like to share with me or talk with anybody this weekend, please speak, and uh, I hope that I get a chance to know you. I've been at this East Central region a lot, and I love it. I feel that Jack is one of my favorite uh, trustees. I mean, you think maybe I say that about all 21 of them, but that is not true. I've always uh, found, you know, some of sometimes uh, Jack thought I was following him around for a while in this area. And uh, it was interesting. We, we have become good friends, and uh, I feel the same way about your delegates. And of course, for whatever reason, many of us are attracted to some people more than others, and it's a privilege. I learn a great deal from everybody. But sometimes it's the jack-in-the-backs that uh, 
uh, I get attracted to also. Somebody who's sitting over there by himself or herself and looking in pain. That's the kind of person I'm attracted to. Not, not you, Jack, but uh, because I see me. I see me, the alcoholic who suffered and, and uh, found, found uh, a way of life through Alcoholics Anonymous. And certainly there is a common solution, which is the theme this weekend. Uh, the committee had a wonderful idea. The common solution, of course, is Alcoholics Anonymous. Our common solution is, our primary purpose is to stay sober and help other alcoholics achieve sobriety. And so often uh, when I've been into uh, being self-absorbed and uh, thinking uh, that I should be somewhere or here or there, uh, I must remember that there's two parts to that. It's not only stay sober, but it's to carry the AA message. And to me, the understanding is to uh, do the steps and then give them to others. And uh, all of you who are here this weekend have probably given up your, your home life and, and maybe your community life or whatever to be among the people we love the most to be with. It's terrific in these rooms. You know, uh, I could sit in these rooms. I'm the happiest forever and ever in these rooms. It's very non-judgmental here in these rooms. When you go outside, that's when the, you know, hits the fan. And um, <laughs> however, um, I think right now um, at this very moment in my own personal life and my own recovery uh, at 10 o'clock this morning, my uh, son is coming home from camp and uh, he's been away for a week and he's been upstate New York and he's getting off the train and um, my husband is meeting him at the train and uh, I'm here and this again is because we say yes in sobriety and he knows that I'll be there tomorrow night but um, you know I think again the commitment of Alcoholics Anonymous when I came in was to say yes. And um, I'm sure that uh, he had a wonderful week in camp. He was offered uh, a chance to stay another week, but he wanted to come home. I think that it's only because he, he uh, has not been with us for a very long time. I adopted him three years ago, and uh, he is from El Salvador. And my husband is from Norway, and we are an international family. It's all because of Alcoholics Anonymous that somehow we have, the three of us have been put together. But at this moment, um, <clears throat> he is uh, being met at the train, and um, uh, I know that, that uh, I'm, I'm there with him in spirit <clears throat> and uh, in love. And I think right now that it's most important for me to think of the third step prayer. You know, God, I offer myself to thee to build and do with thee as thou will. Relieve me of bondage of self. Take away my difficulties so that victory over them may bear witness to those I may help 
of thy will, thy love, and thy way of life. And I really love Alcoholics Anonymous. I sure as heck didn't when I came in here. I've been coming to Alcoholics Anonymous for 24 years, and uh, my sobriety date is January 28, 1969, which is over 18 and a half years ago. I feel that there's a history in my family related to Alcoholics Anonymous. I'm really, uh, all my ancestors are from Ohio. And um, at the moment, my mother is in Cleveland, Ohio. She's in a, re uh, a um, retirement home with John T. Trouble's mother. And I see, uh, you know, they talk, I know they know each other, because I asked my mother that. Uh, Do you know John T. Trouble's mother? Yes. I tell, she said that she's mentioned AA a few times to his mother, and his mother ignores it. <laughs> and you know how mothers are. Um, my mother was uh, born here in Cleveland, and um, uh, I guess on the other side of my family, my great-grandfather uh, was a yachtsman, and he was at one time, I guess around the turn of the century, a, a mayor of Cleveland, and um, his good friend was John D. Rockefeller. They did a lot of yachting together. And I can remember that I have an article in my, in my uh, home about uh, how they used to sail. And uh, John D. Rockefeller had offered to, uh, for my great-grandfather to go into business with him. And, uh, of course, my great-grandfather loved to drink, and um, he said, no, thank you. I'd much rather sail on the Cleveland waters and enjoy my life than to be a hard-working businessman like you. And, of course, John D. Rockefeller came, went on to make a barrel of money in the oil business, and my great-grandfather just died a happy yachtsman, poor... <laughs> Poor and red-faced and uh, content, um, and uh, that history has been passed on to me. But I know that my um, my great-grandfather uh, on the other side was a doctor in Cleveland, and uh, it turned out that one of the past uh, trustees uh, on the General Service Board came running to me one day and said, do you know, Susan, that you're grandfather delivered me here's my birth certificate you know and you get these connections and it gets absolutely um i just kind of feel that i'm i'm my roots are here although i've never lived in cleveland um uh, a few months ago i took uh, my son to uh on the amtrak to come visit my mother <clears throat> and we rode all night uh on the amtrak to uh, come to uh, Ohio to uh, visit. And of course, my mother said, well, I'm not gonna be up at 6.30 in the morning when you arrive, uh, so uh, you uh, take a cab. And of course, who was there at the train at 6.30 was Lois F., uh, the former delegate, picking me up and taking me to, um, and I just I, I just can never get over this, this uh, this dedication, and I watch it, and I'm part of it, and I hope that I'm there for you if you ever need me. That's about all I feel my primary purpose is in life, 
is to uh, carry this message and try to be there. Um, I loved alcohol. I drank too much of it. My uh, family uh, uh, is, is uh, I, I really, you know, the last time I talked was in Texas about a month ago, uh, other than my local uh, participation in New York City. And uh, this woman came running up to me afterwards and gave me all this literature on COA and um, said, you know, this would really do you a lot of good, Susan, children of alcoholics, to, because I think I said that I couldn't diagnose my parents or, or my family on who's an alcoholic and who is not, and that maybe I'm denying it, but um, that's just because I know that I'm the alcoholic and I'm here and uh, I'm facing it and I'm doing something about it and... I just find that at this moment it's going to be a waste of my time, uh, which is very limited these days, to sit in COA meetings. I can barely get to three to four AA meetings a week, let alone uh, sitting in other meetings. So although I received a package of literature um, and it was suggested that maybe I should look into this because maybe I'm denying, but I uh, <coughs> really think that uh, eventually you come in and you clear up and you accept what you are and then you move on as I said you go through the steps and then you try to get out of yourself I mean my whole understanding of AA today is that uh, I, I came here and I learned about the steps and the traditions and the concepts and I'm still learning and I'm in AA the rest of my life um, and I don't have time to sit around right now and analyze my parents. My father is dead, and, and uh, uh, my mother is, is in Cleveland. And That's enough. <laughs> That's enough. Uh, <clears throat> and she drinks, and... And um, when I had trouble with my uh, drinking in my 20s, um, they never changed their patterns. I mean, they put locks on the liquor cabinets and uh, <laughs> things like that. And they were, uh, they, uh, I caused a lot of troubles in my family uh, with my alcoholism. Who doesn't? You know, since I've done a lot of 12-step work, I say it's no day at the beach to uh, live with an alcoholic. And it is anybody who sticks around an alcoholic is really a saint. And it must be helpful to be an Al-Anon because the alcoholic is one of the most conniving, uh, self-centered, slob, uh, <laughs> self-absorbed, go through all the money. That was me. I mean, all of the above and uh, more. And uh, once I started drinking, that took care of every single problem I had because it just filled up that hole, that disease I have with people. I've, I have trouble with people. Alcoholism is a... Um, physical obsession uh, coupled with a mental obsession and compulsion and once I began drinking I couldn't stop 
and I'm not uh, <clears throat> going through a long drinking history, but I can share with you that between 1956, when I started going to college, and till the time I came into Alcoholics Anonymous in 1969, um, my progression landed me in eight detoxification places, and every detoxification time that I went into treatment, I came out and I was okay for a while, and then I drank again. There was, if there was any problem in my life, drinking, uh, a drink. Of course, I never thought of a drink. I always thought of the bottle. My thoughts were never of having a drink. It was a bottle, a fifth, and, um, so I knew that, um, that I had no control over alcohol. And um, why, why didn't treatment work for me? Well, when I went into treatment in the early 60s, I was married and I had a job and, and uh, I was drinking every afternoon by myself uh, in the closet in my apartment. And... Um, um, when I went into uh, treatment, I immediately picked up, uh, instead of the, the why you're here in treatment uh, is to learn about Alcoholics Anonymous, I picked up uh, male companions. <laughs> and um, I did every single thing that, you know, is suggested you not do. And uh, because I have this disease, and I would go uh, into, a, you know, a, a psychiatrist told me that I had a drinking problem and I should go to Alcoholics Anonymous when I was 24 years old. And I went to my first meeting at that age, and it was dreadful. I hated it. I was not home free. Alcoholics Anonymous is about stopping drinking. The thing I love the most in the world, they're asking me to stop. And I came in here and I said, how can you do this? It is impossible. And I would be in these rooms, and of course when I was in the AA rooms, I was safe. But when I walked out of these rooms, I had these choices to make every day that were just overwhelming, to drink or not drink. And many times when life was too much for me, I drank. And every time it was progressive, it got worse. And that last hospitalization, uh, I um, was in treatment for 10 months, and I was a person that, the, the way they talk about in the big book, who felt constitutionally incapable of ever getting sober or getting honest or understanding that it's the first drink that gets you drunk and that, um, that it is, nobody can do it for you. Uh, you have to reach out and ask for help. And I think that I came to a realization when I was in this psychiatric hospital and in a state institution was that I'm here because I drink. I take the first drink. And uh, there's no other reason because when alcohol is taken away from me, I can really live a productive life. So um, I came, I went to uh, New York City in 1968 and um, I took up with this man who was very interested in me, and uh, we did a lot of partying, and um, 
I um, felt I'm different because I can't drink, uh, and uh, I don't belong in this crowd. We, we, we lived in the fast lane. We went skiing a lot. Uh, they passed the uh, marijuana, and they drank beer and wine. And um, I just felt uh, if they if 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 they pass the cigarette to me, it's hard for me to say no, thank you. I don't do that. And if they give me drink, it's hard for me to say no, thank you. I don't do that. And I didn't know how to say it, even though I had been in and out of AA. And in AA, they kept telling me keep coming back, and that's the thing that saved me. Saved me. I kept coming back. So I was with this guy, and he wanted me to uh, marry him, and that scared me because I thought he'll find out something about me. And uh, there isn't, you know, now my life is an open book. What is there to find out anymore? I'm just like you. Uh, uh, I get resentful. I get angry. I uh, love too much. I, uh, um, all the things that you overdo, very compulsive, very addictive. Um, could spend the rest of my life in self-help fellowships, but it's not living life to do that, you know. Not anymore, not for this alcoholic. Um, we, we went up to uh, a ski resort, and uh, the first weekend uh, that I, 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 I didn't drink, and then the, uh, the weed was passed, and this time I took some puffs, and I got a little uh, high, and... Um, the next weekend, I couldn't go skiing because I was sick, and uh, I stayed home, and the only way I ever knew how to treat illnesses was with ski, and I just went and bought a bottle, and I had been sober almost a year, and this is the, w the, the last drink and drunk that I went on, and it was in 1969, and I could remember as I was drinking that this is true. It is a progression, and I was very sick, and within a few days, I could hardly get out of the bed, and um, I did not, when I called Alcoholics Anonymous, I thought, I can't go to treatment anymore. I've been. And I knew that AA worked, and I wanted what you had, and I was willing to go to any lengths. And that's when I asked God to help me, and I called a woman who had been kind of the, uh, the uh, person I hung out with at meetings and uh, had used all the excuses. I'm too young, I don't like God, uh, um, they're all old enough to be my father, and uh, the type of uh, theory that I had about why I could you know, continue drinking. But I began to see that these people were sober. You're sober, and I wanted what you have. And you looked happy, you looked reasonably happy. And I was willing to go to any lengths. And so on January 28th, 1969, the, these two people came to my apartment in Greenwich Village, and they sat with me as I shook through my last drunk. And it was horrible. I had the sweats and the shakes, and I was afraid to sleep that I would go into convulsions. And the next day I saw a uh, doctor who treated me, who understood alcoholism, and he gave me a mild anti-convulsive pill and a mild tranquilizer. And I went to my, a group that night, and I said, I drank, and I want to stop, and will you help me? 
and I spent most of that night in the girls' room <clears throat> with the dry heaves. And I came home, and I went from my bed to the couch, shaking and sweating. And um, I didn't uh, go to a place where I learned about my disease, or see movies, or be in group therapy, or be told I had to take the fourth step in treatment. I didn't do any of those things. I just went back to AA. And that day made that decision, I'll do anything anything you suggest to stay sober and I have and I will never forget it and I don't forget it because I'm grateful I've had 18 more years of life I was going to die the way I drank I drank and drove I moved in blackouts I was <clears throat> when I drank um, I passed out I fell I cut my lips I had bruises I had um, an ability to drink anything that had alcohol in it, from hair tonic to vanilla extract to uh, Petri dry sherry. And um, <clears throat> this is not a social drinker. <laughs> I even loved alcohol more than my first husband, who was Coyle. And I got rid of him. I didn't kill him. I just asked him to... Uh, leave he was interfering with my drinking and so um, when that day came in uh, January I went back to the Trafalgar group and again raised my hand and said I need I, I, I drank and uh, they they no, no one said you're demoted in here no one said we're sick of your act you've been around here six years uh, none of that they just welcomed me back so I understand the people who have little struggle, and I think it's fantastic if you're ready and you're sick and tired of being sick and you come in here and you put that drink down and you get busy. I think we all have our bottom and we all have our surrender. And um, I went to the Trafalgar group uh, in New York and they said, Jesus girl, really, she's very sick and very angry. And she needs, uh, she needs a job. Although she's sober just a few weeks, we better give her something to do so she'll keep coming back. And they had a business meeting. And the, uh, <clears throat> one of the editors of the Grapevine magazine, Tom Neary, who is, who is deceased now, uh, was chairman of the Trafalgar group. And he said, let's give her a job. Oh, I mean, the, Trafalgar has no rules or regulations about length of sobriety. 90 days you can speak, 90 days you, you can have a job. They said, let's make her co-secretary. She just needs to pass the basket. She needs to do something. She needs to get up and say, Trafalgar has four meetings on Tuesday night, uh, a 6.15 discussion, a beginner's meeting, a step meeting and that's exactly what they made me do and I said yes and that was the first job I had in 1969 at the Trafalgar group and I'm still a member of the Trafalgar group and I go every Tuesday night and last Tuesday night it killed me because I was with my husband and uh, we, we were moving and I missed the business meeting and he said it'll be good for you Susan it will be good for you not to take a job <laughs> 18 years later 
And I know what he's saying. It is good for me to back off a little bit and let someone else do something in the, in the uh, group. When I first came into AA in 1969, I joined four groups. It was not until I was sober five years did I read it's best to join one group that you call your home group. And it is in the AA group pamphlet that you call one group your home group and which you accept service jobs. And that you do not uh, meddle in the business of other groups um, in which, but however, that's, kept, that's what kept me sober. And you see, there are, this is what works. I was um, sober a few months and um, passing the baskets and uh, being a hospitality greeter, you know, standing at the door. And that killed me too to reach my hand out, to reach my hand out to somebody and say welcome. But you know, I learned early with a sponsor that even if I thought the speaker <clears throat> was, you know, um, <laughs> to go up and shake the speaker's hand. That doesn't mean that you have to do that today, guys. But um, I, I learned early that that was good. It was one more contact with another alcoholic. And that it's a society of alcoholics in action. And that if you act as if, even though you feel lousy and you feel negative, you act as if. And my sponsor said, if you begin to feel good about yourself, vibrations will go out and everyone around you will feel good. And I never forgot that because I began to look at people and study them. And the people that felt good about themselves were the ones even who sometimes acted as if. And I thought to myself, why should I act as if? I'm finally sober and honest and I'd like to be myself. However, it's true that if you get an attitude of gratitude and you have positive thinking, there isn't much room for negativity. And that the angry people scared me. I wanted to get the opposite end of the room from the angry people because that was me. And I could see you can stay angry forever, but people go away from angry people. And it's attractive. Anger breeds anger. So. I must get rid of all these things that I feel. And I can do that through the steps and through service. So the first year I joined three or four groups. I had three or four different jobs. I was secretary in one group. We started a young people's group in uh, downtown New York, the first young people's group in New York City. And um, I learned about uh, answering the phones at intergroup. I went and volunteered my time there, and I love that, working with people who are calling for help, people who are repetitious, people who are real pain in the you-know-what, uh, like, you know, um, I'm drinking because, and uh, if only my wife would get off my back, and uh, I'm out of work, and, uh, you know, that TV spot is wonderful. Well, lady, if you're out of work, why don't you just... Uh, walk around the block and come back and uh, call Alcoholics Anonymous and go to a meeting and then you can go to work, you know? However, as we come into AA, we find the newcomers are sometimes the most important people in these rooms. They're the only ones that seem to have jobs. 
AA members get sober and they go to school and they travel and they find ways to beat the system and uh, I must say, you know, it's a, it's a fascinating fellowship and somebody said last night, you see everything, I have, and I seem to have experienced everything. When I was sober two years, I went to the first young people's convention, and it, uh, it wasn't the first of ICIPA, that's the International Conference of Young People in Alcoholics Anonymous, but I went to uh, one, of their, one of the early ones. It was in California, and I just loved it. There's more to AA I see than my group. I see that there are other people who can dance without drinking. I didn't know I could do that. I even found out that I could ask a, a man to dance. I never heard of that. Not where I came from. But I learned that in Ikipa. I learned that, you know, men feel just as ill at ease as I do. I didn't know that. I didn't really know that. I thought they, they, they did everything. They knew how to... Um, feel secure, but I find out that it's just as hard for people like Jack and Ken and Jack in the back and all you men out there to uh, talk like me. I mean, to talk, that we, we are a people problem. We have problems with... Uh... So uh, that was easier when I went to a convention and I could see that I, I could have fun and uh, dance. And... Um, I came back to New York, and um, there was this there was this this man who worked at the general service office named Niles Peebles, who is also deceased, and he uh, happened to uh, have been one of the people who was involved in writing uh, Dr. Bob and the Good Old Timers. He went around interviewing people and talking to old-timers, and he was a friend of mine. And he saw me around New York. I was whipping around, you know, I was single, I was divorced, I was at an AA meeting two times a day when I couldn't sleep on weekends, I was at midnight meetings. You see, I did a lot of drinking by myself, and I had to fill up that space. And I didn't have a family at that time. I mean, I had my mother, uh, and uh, father, but I, um, I had um, time to do all this service, so I was out speaking and saying yes, and that's what the, I was told to do. Um, I think that there's a place for all of us in Alcoholics Anonymous, and I became a sponsor and got involved with sponsoring a number of women, and uh, to this day that gives me enormous helps me far more than I wonder what it does to uh, my sponsees. But um, I know that uh, one day I said to my sponsor, oh, I'm helping so many women. And she said, Susan, you don't help anybody. You carry the AA message. And you know, it's right back to the AA tools. First things first. Carry the AA message. Go with the steps. This is my experience. That's all I have is my experience. You must collect your own experience, your own experience, and you must collect some of your wrong experiences to share with others. And how you used an AA tool 
to get better. And that's what I know about Alcoholics Anonymous. I have a new sponsee now who has been, she calls herself between drinks. And um, my, I had to call my sponsor on this one. I said, I just don't know how to carry the AA message to this girl. She's a real hard case. And uh, she seems to have the answers about this whole field. She's an analyst, you know, the worst kind. I mean, they know everything. And yet she, my sponsor said, well, you tell this woman, you may know everything about analysis, about how to get well, but I know something about Alcoholics Anonymous, and I have that to share with you about how to stay sober and how to be stay sober and be reasonably happy. And if you want what I have, I'd be happy to, to uh, I don't say help, share with you my experience and hope. So, back to uh, Niles P. I do kind of skip around, so if I get off, uh, catch me. You know, sometimes... Um, Niles P. was uh, working at the general service office, and he said, uh, Susan, do you still like your teaching job? And I said, yes, I love it. But he said, well, why don't you come up to uh, the office and apply for a job? And I looked at him. I said, I love Alcoholics Anonymous, but I can't imagine working in it all day long. And he said, well, go up and uh, apply. So I went up to the office. I had only been to the general service office to buy literature. I knew most of the staff people. And um, so I went up there and um, took a tour of the office. You know, you go behind the reception area where you can order literature, and you find a world opening up to you that AA is around the world and that there are people answering. It's a clearinghouse of alcohol information and I could see the letters piled on people's desks and the phone calls and the people who still want to know about Alcoholics Anonymous. And I took a tour that day and I was absolutely overwhelmed. Sober five years. And uh, they... Um, gave me this application and I filled it out. What a wonderful thing to fill out and be honest. Uh, on my other applications to get a teaching job, there was a point where I was in the hospital for a year and I had to say traveled in Europe and Hawaii. And <clears throat> on this application I could say I was in treatment or I was in a psychiatric hospital. And nobody had to say, really? <laughs> and it was fantastic. For the first time, you could say your service work that you had done in AA. And uh, the requirement at that time, 13 years ago, was to be familiar with the traditions, know about the service structure, and uh, love the fellowship, be willing to travel, be enthusiastic, and um, uh, I was offered the job, and then I didn't know what to do. Uh, I had to speak to my sponsor about that. She said, um, she said, uh, let's take a uh, searching and fearless inventory of this. So we made a list, you know, the advantages of teaching in this wonderful private school I was in in New York, and... Uh, 
working with adults. Uh, <laughs> well, alcoholics and uh, <laughs> I don't know, um, but I had been working with young children and um, I could see as I shared with her that I, I, I felt it was God's will for me and it felt right inside. And when things feel right inside, that to me is what the master, ask the master, as Bill says, ask the master what he would do. And I think if I stop and think, and it feels right inside, that those have always been um, good feelings. They don't happen often, but it felt right to resign from that teaching job and go to work at your office. So I came to work at the office about 13 years ago, and I was Susan Coyle, um, and since then my name has changed three times. And uh, it does get embarrassing, but you know, um, that first husband I had, uh, Coyle, um, as I said, alcoholism ruined my first marriage. I loved alcohol, and uh, he interfered with it. And my second marriage was to Daly, and uh, he, he was a wonderful man, and he's still alive, and uh, we uh, uh, had a 10-year marriage and a 10-year relationship, and um, he had other addictions. He was addicted to other women. <laughs> so need I say more? And um, I didn't like that. So um, I let go of that and we separated. And all I can say is this man has, uh, you know, when I was uh, sober about five years and I was coming to work at the office and I was infatuated and I'm easily influenced. He was so, this man was so kind of, um, to me, he was so eloquent. He could word things so well. He was so interesting. And me, I have trouble with people, so I, I like people who talk a lot and who kind of take over and know a little bit about everything. So I was very attracted to this. And I must say, we, um, you know, I stayed sober, so I'm grateful. All I know is that uh, every relationship that I've had in Alcoholics Anonymous or out has been good because I haven't had a drink. And that's what AA is all about. So we cannot definitely, you know, say, oh, God, that thing was a mistake. I wish that hadn't happened or this or that. If you're staying sober, you're going to learn something through these experiences. And you're collecting them to share with other sponsees. And that we can get through everything. And if you don't have a sponsee, get one. Because you benefit. And all I know is that... Um, we had a lot of fun, and uh, our, my life uh, with working at your office, I'm intermingling my personal life and my office life, all became one. And I felt when I met people like uh, Dr. Jack, who has been a friend of AA's for 53 years, um, and when I met Nell Wing, who used to be the archivist, and she said, we belong to the greatest social movement of the 20th century. I knew that I felt this is miraculous in here. You know, miracles are happening. I see them. 
I'm one. And uh, there isn't anything like it. After uh, being um, sober for a while, I did things in other organizations, and I came right back, like being on a co-op board in New York City. Money squabbles over money. Sure, we argue about money in Alcoholics Anonymous, but we always go back to we have a tradition we can draw on, or we have a concept, or we have the history. And we have the mistakes of others, and we have a collective group conscience and a loving God. However, when you're on co-op boards, or you're on PTA, or you're on this or that, you know, the, the guidelines are different. And I must say, I like best of all to be on things that have to do with Alcoholics Anonymous. It's a challenge, and I think that uh, as long as I'm in this thing, there's a million things that I would love to do. I'd like to have a prison group. I would like to have, again, a hospital group. I'd like to go back and volunteer at intergroup. You know, and these things, all these things, um, I have to look forward to. But right now, my job is really set out for me, and that is to... Um, have a full day at the general service office and come home to our little boy, Paz, who is adopted, and uh, my new husband. As of uh, how many months have I been married? I've been <laughs> married since Valentine's Day, so that's over four or five months, I guess. And um, um, naturally, with uh, serving uh, at your... Uh, general service office. I've had most of the assignments there, and each one of them, you know, my attitude was, oh, this is really going to be very difficult. And um, what would happen is uh, you get to know an assignment, you fall in love with it, and uh, then you rotate. And that's the way it is. And uh, I must say, when I was writing to inmates in, in, in uh, prisons, to me, I thought, you know, maybe this letter is the only letter this person is receiving today and how important it is. And uh, I felt, you know, um, that I must give it my best. And uh, I have tried to give it my best in many areas. Uh, you know, in my marriage uh, to uh, Don, um, I tried to give it my best. I did a lot of traveling because working at the office, you do a lot of traveling. And I couldn't stay home. And I don't think that that matters. You know, whatever's meant to be is meant to be. But I did travel. And uh, in, the, uh, in my travels, I had a chance to um, travel um, to uh, Brazil to go to a European uh, Ibero-American service meeting. And some days I wake up and I think um, I have the overseas assignment and I'm supposed to go to Brazil. And why me? Well, it's only because I decided to finally surrender to this fellowship and to take what's coming toward me and to say yes and try it. And everyone else has just as much a chance. You know, if you think any of these things through or you project you know what, we'd all sit on our asses and move nowhere. So I know 
that everything that has come my way has been divinely inspired and that uh, it's not good for me to project. If I ever thought how difficult it would be to adopt an El Salvadorian child, but um, I didn't. And um, for you, if you think that it's too difficult to change jobs or move from the east side of town to the west side or change AA groups or go from being an alternate district committee member to a district committee member, try it. Don't project it. Just do it. And you collect experience and you share it with your sponsees. And that's how Alcoholics Anonymous works. The highest we're getting is sober in here. And that's all I know. I'm a drunk like you. I'm a rum hound, and I'm trying to not take the first drink. And I couldn't do it without turning to a higher power. And it all hasn't been peaches and cream. Um, when I was 38 years old, my husband and I had a baby. And um, the, uh, our little girl lived two years, and I lost a child in sobriety. And I know that to me that was the hardest thing I had ever experienced. But because of being an Alcoholics Anonymous and you loved me back to my health, and I have no pity about it today, I have more experience to share with anybody who has losses, that you don't have to live in your self-pity. You don't have to stay home week after week. You get your ass out and you go to your meetings. And... Um, <clears throat> My situation was because I was working at the office, you know, it became an AA tragedy. And uh, the East Central Region all sent me cards, and Al-Anon sent flowers, and Lois Wilson. It was, it was really a worldwide uh, <coughs> hard thing. And um, I know that uh, I got a lot of strength in my home group and I was able to talk about it. Nobody said, now it's about time you stop talking about this and uh, you'll get over it. People didn't say that to me in Alcoholics Anonymous. They just let me get through it and they loved me to help. And this is where I see that everything that has happened to me, you've loved me back to health again. So I, I want to love you back to health whatever is happening to you, your marriages, your joys, your babies, but you don't have this made. You don't have this made. Our sobriety, it's so precious. And um, there isn't anything in this world that uh, a drink would make better. I know that. Um, and I found, uh, coming back to the East Central region after Jennifer died, you know, Virginia Hallman, God love her, she, all oh, those big arms came around me, and um, she uh, understood. Um, I came back to my home group, and I became the coffee maker. That was terrific, to get busy. If you can work yourself through your anger and your resentment, you're better. Boy, let me tell you, I was making that coffee, you know, five hours every Tuesday night, and someone might come up and would say, this is the worst coffee I've ever tasted. And I would say, well, why don't you get here early and help me? And then we can, uh, but anyway, service, 
service has helped me get out of myself every time. And I was on this uh, world service uh, meeting assignment and I was taken to Brazil. And then uh, I had the uh, privilege of coordinating the world service meeting uh, of Alcoholics Anonymous where we met people like our trustee from all over the world representing countries. And one of the countries that uh, came to that meeting uh, three years ago was Eric Yu, who was my husband today. And uh, he came <laughs> and he represented Norway and uh, he sat in the back, Jack. <laughs> and he didn't say anything. He was, he's a very quiet, humble man. I was very attracted to that. Um, and we began to write. And um, we went through all the books by letter. I, um, we shared, as Bill sees it, every single one of those pages by letters the last two years. I have been over to Norway. It is, it's a paradise over there. It's a very small country. It's beautiful. And um, I took, we took my son, Paz, um, over uh, skiing in the mountains. We went cross-country <laughs> skiing at Christmas time. Um, and uh, the feeling that I had was peace. I, I have peace at last. Um, I, I went to AA meetings in Norway, and they did not um, change the meeting to English because I was there. <laughs> and uh, so I find that, you know, when you travel, it is great to take some of these tapes. Um, I've had to study a little bit of the language. Uh, I got D minuses in languages, so um, it's not easy for me. But again, every step of the way, if I had said no to this, this will never work. Cultural differences, family differences, this and that and that. I don't know where I would be. I mean, it's a lot easier to get involved with somebody in your own town, you know. But um, <laughs> if you have to be involved at all. But uh, <laughs> so uh, in January, um, after this two-year uh, back-and-forth relationship, um, uh, he came over to the United States. He gave up his um, uh, country for now and came, and we were married in February. And um, my son loves having a father, and uh, I find that this, uh, this man is, um, that when he speaks, I listen. We are fighting an awful lot because we're both alcoholics, trying to stay sober today. However, when we stop and read something from the big book, Alcoholics Anonymous, you can get centered again. And you talk it out. It's better to talk it out than not say anything at all. I was thinking about Bill's writings. Silent scorn is worse, I think, than not saying, you know, if you sit there, uh, a relationship can't work. Um, so that's where I am today. We just moved, so my vacation has been spent moving, putting up gates on our windows by the fire escape because I live in New York City, and um, 
getting the telephone man and getting the con ed and this and that and that. And uh, I'm now ready to go back to your general service office on Monday. And my desk will be piled with letters about the general service conference. There will be letters from delegates who want things. And I will get the material together. And there will be also a pile of mail from the Northeast region, which is the region that I correspond with. And I will do it one letter at a time. The trouble with me is when I look at something and I project, gosh, I can't get through this. I was again told by my sponsor, one letter at a time. If you're having trouble with grocery shopping, you shop one day at a time. If you're having trouble with... Uh, your relationships, you'd handle it one day at a time. And that's the way I get through. And also with a great deal of hope and enthusiasm. I love this fellowship. I've been through your archives exhibit this weekend. It is fantastic what is in here. Let's keep it safe. Let's keep it safe and sound for the next guy. It is um, of utmost importance. I found, I was reading that article in the archives room uh, this weekend about um, this man who criticized Alcoholics Anonymous. And uh, he said the reasons why. And I thought, you know, I bet that guy's on a slip. But um, <laughs> what he was saying is there are some people who can return to drinking. I have not met anybody who can, who is in here. We don't come in here by mistake. I think somebody who returns to drinking, maybe they're not an alcoholic. But I know that this alcoholic cannot return to drinking. I'd die. It's a life or death matter. You know, um, all the treatment facilities these days who use the AA philosophy, that's fantastic, really. We may resent it at times, that, but it's really, you know, more people know about us. When I came in uh, 24 years ago, it was really very shameful to be an alcoholic. It was a moral issue. We didn't know then, and we learned that it's a disease, and we can do something about our illness. Um, nowadays, everybody knows about Alcoholics Anonymous. It's due to the fellowship. If we make the fellowship attractive and we become part of the community, uh, I no longer can, can justify myself saying that I have to go to seven meetings a week now. I did 18 years ago. I go to three meetings a week. That's what's very important to me. But I also go to the Little League for my son, and I go to his school. And I'm a, a member of uh, the church. That's not for everybody. And um, I went and helped somebody in the church last week who was not an alcoholic, but who is sick and has lost a very important person in his life. And I felt that I could have some experience to share with that. So uh, they called me, and I went and sat with this man. And uh, that, again, is uh, because of Alcoholics Anonymous that uh, you are able to give this um, 
this time and this love and learn something from it and do it. I don't um, know um, about where AA is going. I mean, we have conferences and we discuss the business, but I certainly feel that it is safe and sound from ourselves. They say that if anything's going to spoil AA, it's going to be ourselves. So I hope that I'm not a part of that because I need it. Um, and of course, Bill said AA will be here as long as God intends it to be. And at one time, Bill got very enthusiastic in the history saying that he wanted these tools and these uh, spiritual principles to be given to the world. And it has been given to other fellowships. However, we're the granddaddy of them all. We have what everyone else wants. And uh, we know that because it works. Sobriety is attractive. Um, you don't have to be miserable in Alcoholics Anonymous. You can come through anything with the help of God as you understand them, him. Um, so I begin to think, you know, uh, people sit around and say, oh, well, you know, I, I'm thinking of, uh, one of one of your past delegates I talked to, and he said, are you disturbed about what's happening in AA today? And I say, well, I'm aware of it. He said, well, you know, the, the, the dual addictions and the this and the that. And I think um, my job in Alcoholics Anonymous, this is exactly what my sponsor has passed on to me, is... I am to offer an AA tool to you to stay sober, which is keep it simple. This too shall pass. Pray. Read the third step. A AA solution to what we can do today to make things a little bit better. That's all my responsibility is. And it's the same at the general service office. To answer a letter and try to find a solution to the problem in the letter by giving a pamphlet or giving something to look up and say AA experience is. And that's all I'm responsible for. And then I think that we'll be okay. I don't think that it's going to help me to worry about AA being different today than maybe it was 50 years ago. I doubt it. I think it's the same. Not one word has been changed, so it is the same. And um, we have more options, more opportunities. That's why, you know, sometimes I think um, about keeping it simple is very important and believing in these principles because um, I don't see it any different than it was 18 years ago when I uh, stopped drinking. I see it as the same. As a matter of fact, it's bigger. It's growing. 4,000 new groups. The office is finally being supported by you. And your areas are being supported by you and your groups. And we are paying our own way. And we're turning down money. And we don't need money. What we need is spiritual love of one another to help each other through a day uh, sober and to have a little fun 
and also to have a little time to ourselves to thank God for this fantastic second shot at life. Now, um, so that's where I will be on Monday at your office. I hope that you'll have the opportunity to come visit sometime. I love my job. I love my family. I love Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, my husband wants to go back to Norway. He's a little homesick. Um, I mean, he really would like to move there in two years. And he asks me what I think about that. And I say, well, if that's what we do, that's what we'll decide to do together. And it's not really, I mean, I said yes, because I know that that's a plan today, but I will not project the outcome. And I must not project any of my outcomes beyond today. My plan is to stay sober today. I hope I get a chance to know all of you, and I hope you'll come talk to me, and um, that uh, if we can reach one more alcoholic out there, that we've done our part in maintaining our primary purpose, which is to stay sober and help other alcoholics achieve sobriety. So keep coming back. It works, and I love you. <laughs>